Oh, welcome back, everybody, to another Chasing Tales episode. I am your host, Walt, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chase. We just got done last weekend hosting a Teach and Train event, and here we are talking to a fellow saddle hunter who absolutely slays them from the saddle in South Carolina. Yes, we did, man. I had a blast at the Teach and Train event. It was good getting to uh, meet all the aspiring saddle hunters out there and i think a lot of them were converted this weekend uh, and it was good to get to hang out with some of our buddies uh, adam glass nick chandler we got to hang out with uh, craig croom who is a is a patron of the show man so i mean i, I just and i got to hang out with you man so i, I had a great time this past weekend uh, getting to do that yeah no that was good man I, I really enjoyed it it was a good time getting to meet with everybody the highlight, obviously, was meeting Craig. The guy came on the podcast, in which you'll hear him next week. Um, we kind of wanted to give everybody a break of the Florida content. We've gone pretty hard on that, but uh, you'll hear from him next week. But the dude, he was kind of hesitant to come on the show, but he jumped on, and he just hit the ground running and dropped some, I think, absolute knowledge bombs. I can't wait to uh, to, to have everybody hear hear that dialogue. Yeah, man, it was awesome uh, having him on the podcast. It was great doing the podcast uh, after the event. Um, we kind of had yeah. a roundtable going on, so a bunch of fellow <laughs> Florida hunters uh, talking about Florida hunting, man. So I had a blast. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a good time, man. It, seeing everybody get excited about hunting, any form of hunting, is always so rewarding. But to every time somebody would sit down in that saddle and you saw their apprehension just, like, dissipate completely, the sign for me, I don't know if you noticed this, was every time they would cross their arms and put it on the bridge, it was like, uh-huh, you just accepted your fate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, yeah. But yep. Clayton Bond on the podcast today, and the, the guy, I, I've talked with him off and on since uh, probably last October, it, just a just a – high energy high rolling guy he kind of reminds me of parker kind of in the you know maybe he's a little like legitimately legitimately addicted to the outdoors addicted to whitetails yeah yeah this is the first time uh, my my first chance in being able to talk to him but i could definitely uh tell uh throughout the podcast that he's just ate up with hunting and uh anything that has to do with hunting so it, it was it was a real good podcast and i learned a lot about uh, South Carolina. This is not a state yeah. that we've highlighted, and there were some things that I, I wasn't aware of, and I, I really didn't ever put the pieces together on how much it kind of mimics Florida. So that that was kind of cool. It was kind of staggering, right? Like the as the dialogue progressed, the it, it the seasons, the bag limits, the management, the habitat itself. I mean. You know, granted, they don't have the Everglades, but I mean that right. Savannah River bottom probably isn't too far from it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I mean, the size of the deer, I mean, just yeah. everything kind of about it just kind of made me uh, envision Florida for the most part. So uh, I think uh, maybe someday I, I, I need to get up there and, and try to hunt South Carolina. Yeah, well, I mean, I think naturally speaking, we, we probably shouldn't do that to Clayton because he works really hard to get on his deer. And if, if we just were to go up there and apply what we know, I mean, the poor guy wouldn't have any deer to hunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe it sounds like though that he mentioned that he loves to outwork everybody so yeah. us just going up there for a few days don't stand a chance against somebody who's <laughs> ate up with it and 
365, pretty much South Carolina. So yeah, but he would be a good resource to have if we went up there for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we're going to let everybody get to the show, but uh, we got to thank a couple new patrons of the show that we've got. We've had a lot of growth in the Patreon group, and if you're listening to this episode and you'd like to support the podcast and you'd like a chance to win free gear every quarter four times a year we give away a bunch of gear and this this quarter we're giving away a a set of three timber ninja carbon fiber c1 climbing sticks these jokers are ridiculously light Uh, they're safety rated guys they've taken the trouble to make sure that their stuff is quality that your life isn't hanging the balance but at the same time you're at least getting the best product you possibly can it's incredibly innovative and i hope you guys would be interested in contributing to the show so that we can continue to travel and upgrade our camera equipment i mean dude jace you have got a freaking video camera now yeah i do have a video camera man uh i'm excited about uh being able to take it out in the woods and document uh, the hunts that i'm going to be going on uh this year uh it's kind of something that i'd always kind of thought about but just never really took the plunge so i've taken the plunge now and i'm hoping that not only can i get it for content for us, but it's something that I'll always be able to have and go back and look at and maybe show the grandkids one day. That's it, man. That's it. Well, we've got two new patrons to thank, and then we're going to let you guys get to the episode. Timothy Doherty and Joseph Wiggins, thank you so much for, for signing up. Hopefully we can just continue to bring you more awesome content. Yep. That's what uh, the goal of our uh, Patreon account has always been. So why don't we get to Clayton? Time to go. Clayton Bond, dude, how you doing? I am great, guys. How are y'all? Hot, sweaty. We were kind of talking about that. It is the season. It very much is. I'm, uh, I'm sticky at the moment. I'm sitting on my back porch drinking a nice cold beer, and uh, yeah, it's still hot. And even the sun's the sun's down, and it's still hot. <laughs> That's going to be the theme for probably uh, well, where you're at, probably the next two months, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it stays hot here pretty much through the end of September. Gotcha. Gotcha. Tell everybody where there is. So I live in the upstate of South Carolina, uh, just south of Greenville, South Carolina. Right on. And that's your old stomping grounds, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's right, yeah. So I've I've been uh, back here now for about six months, and this is the, the third time that I've lived in the upstate in about the last 12 years or so. I, uh, I was in Knoxville, Tennessee the last two years, and then uh, the upstate of South Carolina for four years before that, and then the four years before that, I got to live in Kentucky, uh, and then was in college here in South Carolina uh, the f- previous four years before the Army. That's awesome, man. Go Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least you didn't say go Big O. We would have been fighting at that point in time. <laughs> You hunt a state that is like intriguing to Chase and I. One of the we were sitting there looking at our, our guest list, and one of the things Chase wanted to do was talk to somebody from South Carolina. And I think it's because you guys, you know, Florida gets this rep of having like a really long and weird season, but you guys are not far behind us. When does your season kick off? Yeah, so it depends where in the state you are. So where where I live, again kind of northwest corner of the state, referred to as the upstate. Um, We've got a pretty traditional, pretty normal season here. Archery kicks in uh, September 15th, and then uh, a couple weeks later, muzzleloader kicks in, and then 
rifle up here comes in on October the 11th and then basically runs through January 1st. And then there's an imaginary line about halfway south and east through the state uh, where it's generally known as the region called the Midlands. Uh, at, at about the Midlands, that imaginary line kicks in and some game zones shift over. Um, and basically from there down to the coast, it's like a, a completely different deer season. So uh, the season there opens August the 15th and then runs through January the 1st. Um, and kind of the weird thing for a lot of guys listening to this is that on August 15th, basically everything opens up. So rifle, shotgun, muzzleloader, bow, crossbow, blowgun, air gun, spear, whatever, right? It, it opens on <laughs> August the 15th and then again runs the entirety of the season. And um, South Carolina is a state that up until, up until really like last year or the year before, um, there were, you didn't tag your deer at all. You didn't check them in. Um, I, I mean, I think the limit was like, I don't even know if there was a limit on bucks. Um, as of, as of two years ago, um, there's, there's now a tag system in place and you're allowed, a I think it's maybe five bucks total. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So it, again, in the, in the lower part of the state, the seasons are a lot more liberal. Um, and you're allowed to, you're allowed to run, uh, run dogs for deer, um, as well as still hunt and bait and do everything else you want, um, it's pretty much fair game, free game, free rain all the time. And then uh, up here where I live, I want to say it was about four or five years ago, uh, baiting, baiting became legal up here as well. Hmm. Okay. That's a yeah, very, I mean, that's it's... a very like Florida-esque story, isn't it, Chase? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like Florida for the most part, because uh, we just went to tags in Florida last year. <laughs> And it's five bucks, but before then it was pretty much unlimited <laughs> yeah. uh, as well for the most, I mean, if you stayed in your zone, it, it was about 240 bucks you could take in a season. But if you hunted the whole state of Florida, as long as it was, then it, what would it be like 300 something, 400 something bucks that you could take yeah. in a season? It's, it's unreal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two a day, every day for the whole season. So you do the math on that, but yeah, uh, I mean, it, so it sounds like that in the the little southern area that are there more deer in the southern area is that why it's more liberal down there from where you're at you know i'm not exactly sure i from my experiences i would say i would say so yes there's a lot more there's a lot more agriculture down there um and there's uh basically the whole state you know with with the exception of, of some some smaller regions is the vast majority you know of of the timber is pines any you know like a lot of other southern states there's a lot of hardwood creek bottoms but the the large expanses of open timber if if there are any are are all kind of in the northwestern portion of the state where where i live and either further up towards the smoky mountains um or the blue ridge mountains as they call them here um and then you know down in that lower part of the state is where you've got your, your traditional agriculture a lot of a lot of corn beans cotton peanuts getting grown and that's that's where the deer are just unreasonably thick in terms of numbers right well what's a uh, what's a good what is a good buck in south carolina like what's considered like if somebody kills a buck and everybody kind of ooze and ahs over uh, then they're going to ride it on their uh basically tailgate for the whole day what, what does one of those <laughs> look like 
Man, I would say, you know, any anytime anybody's killed a deer that's a hundred inches plus, anybody looks at it and says, Hey man, that's a real nice buck right there. Um mm-hmm. you know, there's there's I don't know what the state record is, but you know, the anytime you see a deer in that one twenty plus region coming out of anywhere in the state, you know, it's it definitely it definitely grabs people's attention. Um, you know, every every year you'll see you'll see a few guys, you know, post pictures of or a news article or a South Carolina game and fish article of a deer that's one fifty plus. Um, not not very common. They do exist. Um, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of high end private plantation type uh, hunt clubs down lower in the in the coastal area of the state and kind of in that Midlands region where there's a you know a, these large acreage areas where the deer are really manicured, managed, and and and, and just grown well. Um, and there's some really really nice deer that come out of that area. Um, I haven't I haven't hunted that area a whole lot. I've just kind of been in tune to it. But um, yeah, I mean that that kind of you know it's a broad picture. But you know really anything in that hundred to hundred and ten inch plus range. You know, we'll get you a second look or two around here. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it still sounds like Florida. <laughs> yeah, it does in a lot of ways. <laughs> you know, I know that South Carolina, when I was coming up in college, you know, I was I was doing a coastal ecology degree. And uh, during that time, we were doing a lot of, um, you know, studies on the coast there, Georgia, southeast Georgia. And, and one of the things we noticed was that South Carolina was doing some really interesting experimental studies where, you know, it, burning burning a, a lot of the pines and whatnot was producing a lot more 100-inch deer down there on the coast. I kind of feel like South Carolina suffers from too many people shooting too many deer and not necessarily genetics and food because it seems like it's got a really healthy, like, genetic potential. You don't see a lot of, like, three-on-one-side, you know, four on the other kind of things it's a lot of eights and tens it seems like yeah i mean I, I would agree with you there so you know the vast majority of the state is you know your hunting opportunities lie on leases there's a lot of a lot of timber company paper company owned land that you know these these paper companies or timber companies will lease out you know 500 to a thousand acre tracks here and there and that'll be a hunt club and then, you know, the next property over is, you know, 600 acres owned by a different timber company and it'll be leased out and it'll be a hunt club. Right. Um, pretty much every gate you drive past is going to have a, a hunt club, you know, sign of one or another on it. Or it's, uh, you know, a couple hundred acre track that a couple guys leased together. I mean, that's, that's generally the common, the common theme, uh, at least from what I've experienced. Um, where I live and then you know the further south you go some of those tracts of land start to get bigger and bigger um, and you run into a lot more of the high-end type stuff Um, and then kind of speckled throughout in in large pockets there's three or four of them throughout the state in large pockets are these uh, national forests so we've got the the Francis Marion National Forest down towards the coastal part of the state Um, the Sumter National Forest kind of in the the middle part of the state Um, and then uh, some, some other national forest that's up kind of like right on the edge of the Smoky Mountains. And I'm drawing a blank on what it's called. And then there's one other that's uh, kind of down north northwest of Augusta, um, kind of butts up right on the South Carolina-Georgia line. Another big chunk of national forest there. And 
in terms of in terms of public land, I mean that's the majority of it um, is national forest. There there are WMAs here and there, um, but I would say the vast majority of the public available is going to be national forest. Okay. Now, are the are those national forest lands? Are they basically walk on type deals, or do you have to draw permits or get quotas for them, or how how do how do the management areas work in South Carolina? Good question. So I'm I'm pretty much only only familiar with the one that uh, that I'm going to be hunting this year. I've for the most part hunted private uh, in in South Carolina the last five or six years, and then. When I was in college, I hunted some uh, w- WMAs up near Clemson. Um, the WMAs that I hunted there were uh, were all archery only. Um, it's actually a lot of land that's owned by Clemson University. Um, all managed archery only type places, four on one side plus. And then uh, they do a, a managed rifle hunt there like one weekend a year or something like that. Um, and then the National Forest themselves, from my understanding, they're all walk on. So open any, you know, to any methods, any time of the season, as long as it's, you know, under state, statewide regs, the, uh, the national forests are open according to that. So it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity. What's the quality of the habitat that you get to hunt as a, as a public land prowler up there? You know, it, it honestly, unless you're on like a big, uh, a big, like really, really nice plantation, um, in the lower part of the state, it's not going to vary a whole lot from like the private leases. It's all, again, it's all, um, not all, but I should say a, a lot of it is, is going to be rolling, rolling pine Hills and then hardwood Creek bottoms, you know, mixed in with select cut timber and clear cut, you know, clear cuts. However, you know, however long ago they cut the, the timber or clear cut it. Um, what I'm really keyed in on now is a lot of like five to eight year old clear cuts and, um, and all the transitions into the hardwood creek bottoms and um, older pines. Yeah, that that makes sense. I'm looking at. I pulled up Onyx. One of the things whenever I talk to somebody who is somewhere I'm not, you know, overly familiar with, I pull up Onyx and then I just put on public lands. And it's always remarkable to me to see how public land lights up on a map. And there's a lot of it, but I see what you're saying. It all is very national forest esque. You know, you're. I'm not surprised to hear you you say that you're going to be hunting clear cuts because that's probably going to be your like your your hard edges and 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 heavy brows because it doesn't look like there's going to be any kind of ag that bumps up against a national forest or anything. Yep, exactly. Yeah, where I'm where I'm keyed in at right now, it's kind of smack dab in the middle of the state, and there's you know I, I've probably driven hundreds of miles in the last couple months, uh, you know, exploring that area, and I, I think I have yet to see a a cornfield or a bean field or anything like that down there. <laughs> huh. Interesting. So is, is the area of South Carolina you're that you're at, is it very like North Georgia esque? I'd say it's pretty similar. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's maybe, maybe less, less open, uh, like less open pasture type land and more, just more just straight up pine forest. Gotcha. Okay. So you once told me that you're a terrible deer hunter. You just work harder than anybody you know. There's some variant of that. But basically, <laughs> you said you weren't a very good deer hunter. You just work really hard. How does that work, uh, given what the environment you're in? Because it doesn't. It, it sounds like maybe getting away from people and finding hidden pockets is your, is your key. Or what, what's 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 that strategy look like for you in South Carolina? 
Man, well, I'll recant that statement. I'm a terrible turkey hunter. Oh, turkey. That's what it was. Try. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I try really hard, and I get lucky every once in a while. And I'm a decent deer hunter, but I work really hard. I work really hard at that. I work harder at deer hunting than I do anything else. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you, you hit it on the head. You know, I think I think just stubborn will and then also just learning from – past experiences has been uh has been kind of the biggest key to my success there whether i'm hunting deer or in you know western kentucky other places and you know the i think i well i shared some some trail camera pictures with you the other day of beautiful really deer. Nice deer that yeah that, you know and, and honestly this is again the last you know two months since i've been back here this time has been my first soiree and uh into public land here in south carolina but you know honestly some of and i know this has been hit on before but some of the deer clubs are, are pressured harder, uh, if not as hard, um, as the public land is. So, you know, one of the one of the deer that I'm the most proud of, I killed in South Carolina probably four years ago on a club. Um, and man, there there was more hunting pressure on and more more human sign on that on that club property than anything I've seen yet on the national forest. Um, mm. And you know, it killing and i bring that up because killing that deer i shot that deer uh about 75 yards or so from a very busy two-lane highway um (laughs) you know i was watching watching log trucks and people coming home from work on that october afternoon and you know i couldn't hear a thing because of the freaking 18 wheelers carrying pine trees driving by (laughs) and ended up shooting a darn near 200 inch i'm sorry 200 inch i wish 200, 200 pound, <laughs> yeah, like 115 inch or so seven pointer. Um, just a giant old, probably five and a half, if not older, uh, you know, South Carolina buck that had been running around for, you know, dodging bullets for who knows how long. And I think part of the reason I shot that deer was because I was in a spot that nobody else was going. And, you know, it's been hit on a lot before, but you don't always have to have to, you know, outwalk everybody. You just got to be where the other people aren't, where the deer feel comfortable. And, um, you know, that back to the pictures that, that we were talking about a minute ago, while the, uh, you know, some of the best pictures and some of the best deer that I'm on right now are, you know, not 50 yards from a gravel road that I'm sure on, if I hunt that spot on opening day, I'm going to see 20 trucks drive up and down, literally watch <laughs> them, you know, I'll be 60 yards off the road. Hey, <laughs> So let's okay. There's two, a couple different directions I want to go with this, but the the buck you found, what went into like what would you do to replicate finding that buck that you sent me on trucker? And by the way, is that Onyx Waypoint? Is that where I can find him? Right there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just a, that's just a, to give you an idea, like the general the general chunk of the, the national forest gotcha. that, I'm, that I'm kind of keyed in on now, and you know it's going to look just like all the, all the other stuff will. Um, you know, rolling, rolling hills, hardwood creek bottoms, flood cut timber, and wide expanses of clear cut here and there. I got you. I got you. So, if you're trying to find that deer again. You know, you, you, what did you notice about finding that deer that you would apply elsewhere? Yeah, absolutely. So, basically, the uh, I've done a lot of listening to the podcast with uh, Josh Prophet, amongst others. Um, on kind of his trail camera strategy of cast a wide net over a large area and, you know, put a lot of cameras out, check them, 
you find something that's good, you key in, you hone in on it, and you try to figure that deer out into a, some sort of pattern to where you can key in and kill him. Um, so really kind of how I start pinpointing and how I found that buck is you know, start with a map, find you know the, the, the latest aerials that I can and look for the edges that I know that the deer, the deer like. Um, especially in this, in this part of the country, I'm, I'm pretty much when I'm, when I'm scouting here, I'm glued to edges, you know, whether it be mature pines transitioning into the hardwood creek bottom or, you know, what's, what's typically the best for me is if I can find three or four edges that come together and you've got, you know, significant diversity of, uh, of edge, right? So it could be open hardwoods. And then, uh, you know, what, what gets me the most excited is if I can find a, a narrow strip of hardwoods that sticks out into a clear cut um, that connects with a bigger chunk of hardwoods that connects to mature pines, right? If you can find that kind of the, that star, if you will, of diversity, that's where I start. And typically what I'm looking for, and, and this is kind of a strategy that I've adapted here just since I've moved back here this year is, you know, find that diversity and then what I've been really keying in on is the rut sign from last year, right? What's going to indicate that there's been a buck that's just been glued to this area, right? So in, in the case of that deer that I sent you the picture of, I, I went into that spot. I, I saw that, that star, if you will, or all these different habitats kind of just merging in one spot. In this case, it was 50 yards from a gravel road. And I'm like, all right, well, that's probably so close to the road that everybody's going to drive past that. And there's, you know, what, from my, what I, what, I, what I've gathered talking to other guys that, that hunt the same area, the majority of guys that hunt it, um, they don't necessarily climb or put out stands. They're, they're walking around with rifles, just sitting on the ground, stalking, if you will. Right. Um, so at least in my, in my pea brain, what I, what I see that as is, all right, when, when I'm, when I'm the average hunter out there, I'm going to look at Onyx or whatever map that I've got and, I'm going to find the biggest chunk of land that I can. And I say, all right, I'm going to go walk around that. I can walk around that thing all day. I'm not going to pick the little, you know, 20, 30 acre chunks of land. I'm going to find, you know, something that where I can go hunt all day. I get way back there. And and don't get me wrong. I I do a lot of that. Um, I do a lot of that as well. But, you know, in this particular instance, everything I was looking for is 50 yards off the road. Like, well, hell need to go, need to go check that out. So I walked in there and, you know, of course, right on one of those edges, um, you know, from maybe that particular clear cut, probably four or five years old, you know, right on the edge of the hardwoods, there's maybe a 10 yard strip of waist tall grass that's just got some little scrub, scrub oaks and, and stuff like that growing in it. And then it transitioned into in the mature hardwoods. And I mean, literally every three inch tree for a hundred yards that I walked along that edge was just torn up last year. I was like, all right, well, there, you know, there's definitely a lot of bucks, you know, working through here. And there, you know, there was a lot of sign of browse in there at the time as well. Um, recent browse, I should say. And, uh, like, all right, this looks good. So I set up a camera there, let, let it soak for two weeks. And literally, I mean, every, just about every day in daylight, there's a bachelor group coming through there. Um, there were actually two different bachelor groups coming through there, just working that same edge, um, just feeding, kind of feeding along. And um, it, it was very evident that they were bedded just inside of the clear cut and then coming out 
and it, it was it was and I and I say this because of the time when they were all there. So I'm, I'm talking daylight activity between eight thirty and eleven in the morning almost every day for for that two week period. Um, you know, in if you were to drive a truck there and park and look at basically where my camera was, you could if you really really looked, you could see my camera strap on the tree from your truck on the gravel road. So you're so you don't care so much about getting away so much as you're looking for a certain set of variables and when you find it you're willing to put time in that uh, into that spot. In in this particular case, yes. Gotcha. I mean it, it it varies, right? So, you know, I pulled that camera card after I'd walked probably a mile and a half in, crossed the creek and was on the thickest, nastiest, probably piece of this national forest known to man. And, you know, I, I got a picture of a great buck there too. Um, but, you know, one's 50 yards from the road, the other one's, you know, a mile plus, right? Right. It just, it just varies, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm looking for, all right, what, what isn't, you know, where is that deer going to be comfortable? And what I, what the, what the jury's still out on is, all right, what, you know, when the, when the orange army hits the woods or in South Carolina, I don't think you have to wear orange. So when the camel army hits the woods, um, <laughs> you know, where are those deer going to feel comfortable at? So in, you know, in the case of my spot by the road, I think they're going to be comfortable there because everybody's going to drive past it. And then in the case of the spot where I was, you know, mile plus in and some really, really thick, nasty stuff, you know, I think they're going to be comfortable there too. Right. Now, do you ha- how much history do you have with this place? I stepped boots on the ground there for the first time probably the last weekend in May. Last weekend in May. And do, do you know anyone that's hunted that area before? Did you ever talk to anybody beforehand? That's you know, hunted there? everybody that I talked to that that I that I talked to that's hunted that area was like, you know, yeah, it gets hit real hard. There's a lot of guys that hunt it. You know, there's there's trucks everywhere in there and up. I've got some buddies that hunted it for the last first time last year and you know their their opinion was pretty much the same of hey you know once rifle season kicked in on October 11th the the amount of activity just drastically increased um, a lot of guys just parking at gates and then walking logging roads as far as they could turning around hmm okay um so going into this season like you, you said you've seen the deer on trail cams and you've found the sign that says that they're there um when would they be making when would be when would they be laying down that sign in south carolina is there like a defined rut or anything in south carolina it's going to vary a little bit by by the part of the state that you're in um i wouldn't say it's necessarily as radically different as maybe what you guys see in florida or you know what what they see in alabama or mississippi in terms of like being really late or really early um you know i would I would venture from my experience, you know, hunting private and then the, you know, talking to a lot of guys is, you know, they're, they're going to rut in pockets and obviously the daylight, the daylight activity is completely controlled by the weather. Um, but you know, as a, as a rule of thumb, at least in the area that I'm hunting, I want to be in the woods somewhere, you know, about the second week of October is when that activity is just going to skyrocket. Um, and then a lot, I think I actually read a study. I think the majority of the, I think the majority of the does in that part of the state are starting to get bred like right around the third week or fourth week in October, like right around the end of October is the the peak time. But that being said, you know, I've, I've seen 
I've seen sporadic, you know, crazy rut activity the last weekend, the last week of December um, <laughs> as well. So, I mean, from, from my experience, I would say like, you know, the third week of October is, is clutch. And then somewhere around like mid December, it, it kind of fires back up. Okay. So maybe a little secondary rut action going on. Yeah. In that area. You know, I've, I've talked to a lot of guys that have said, you know, based on area, right. And, and different genetic doe groups, you know, it can, the rut can be predicted by that, by, you know, by, by when those specific does come into estrus versus the others. Right. Yeah. I've heard that same, same thing before. So what I was kind of getting at is, do you think that as there, is there a lot of bow hunting pressure on that property or is it just, they, they kind of all fall in there when it's gun season? Yeah. And I know just from, you know, talking to, talking to some like-minded individuals that I've connected with either through like the saddle hunter forum or the running gun page or whatever, um, just connecting with various guys that have hunted this property that, you know, generally speaking, it doesn't see a whole lot of pressure until, until rifle kicks in and then, and then things really escalate. Okay. So is one of your goals maybe to get in there? Are you, I'm assuming you're going to try to get in there early as you possibly can and, and try to, cause you said you have what five buck, t- buck tags in the state of South Carolina now, since they've went to buck tags. So yeah, are you going you to can, try to get in there can, early? Yeah, you can get up to five. So, um, I think you get two to start with and then you can buy additional ones if I'm not mistaken. Um, so yeah, okay. generally, you know, my, my plan is going to be, um, hit it extremely hard the first week of the season. Right. Just absolutely get after it. Um, I mean, probably like hunt, try and hunt like every other evening or every day for, or, or every afternoon for like the first five days of the season just without burning up too much vacation time, be able to get in the tree a lot <laughs> play the system a little bit, but, uh, and, you know, my, yeah, you hit it on the head. My goal is to have one down by the time rifle comes in. And, and also too, that's kind of when my, when my out of state endeavors start, start picking up as well. So, you know, if I could, if I could kill one of these deer that, that I've, that I will hopefully have targeted or something, something close to that, you know, within the first two weeks of the season, I would say I'd be, I'd be really on track. How do you think those deer are going to adapt to the pressure in that area? Because in Florida, I've seen in some areas, I think it, it largely depends on, actually, Chase, we talked about this in the last podcast, is a lot of times we it seems like the amount of human pressure they see throughout the year dictates how they respond to that initial surge of people into the woods. Do you, What do you think uh, is going to occur in those spots uh, right after bow season hits? I Honestly, during everything's still so thick during the first really like month of our season here, uh, especially in the, up, I mean, upstate and the, in the lower part of the state, probably the first two and a half, if not three months of the season. Um, but anyway, on the public land where I'm at, you know, that everything is so thick and you're just limited to bow hunters. Like I don't see it changing a whole lot. The first two weeks, three weeks of the season until muzzleloader kicks in. Um, you know, just cause there's, there's, it's still so thick. Sure. Um, and you know, other than smelling somebody, you know, a deer, I don't think a deer is going to really feel it as much. Um, then, you know, 
what my what my gut tells me is as soon as as soon as rifle kicks in and you've got t- tinks bombs going off every you know hundred <laughs> yards apart <laughs> within w- within a quarter mile of every gate and parking lot like you know those those deer are going to go nocturnal really quick and they're gonna they're gonna go thick really quick is is you know me looking into a crystal ball and then from from a lot of past experience hunting on a thousand acre club with 12 other guys you know as soon as all that gravel starts popping at you know 30 minutes before daylight and 30 minutes after after sunset um you know those those deer go especially the mature ones they they just go dark very very quick um you know i i hunted in a club where there was you know baiting allowed and guys were riding dirt you know riding a, a dirt track around the place in their four-wheelers checking cameras and putting out corn and you know sure we'd get pictures of good deer on on corn piles but i mean with very rare exception they were all at night right yeah that seems to be that seems to be about right for <laughs> for most uh clubs and things like that is florida a baiting state yeah yeah. yeah. Okay. Not on yeah, public land. Right. And then South Carolina is the same way. So you can't bait or, uh, or do any of that on the national forest. But the, uh, you know, a, again, a lot of the property, a lot of the properties that butt up to this national forest are, are lar- these large hunt clubs where I've, I've seen them, uh, you know, just from being on the, on the property line, you know, there's, there's a lot of feeders adjacent to the property out there. Um, you know, where, where guys are riding their four wheelers around, checking cameras, putting out corn and, they're without a doubt going to see a lot of little bucks and does, but you know, the, the type of deer that I'm chasing they're you know, it's few and far between unless they just happen to be there on the right day when the right doe walks out on their, you know, 400 yard long shooting lane. Um, you know, right. that, those, those mature deer are not falling for that the majority of the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, it sounds like you should set up uh, along those borders. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, and, and, and full, full full transparency. The 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 deer that uh the deer that I sent you the picture of. I mean, on that edge that I'm talking about, it busts up to a hunt club, and about 200 yards away from where my camera is, there's a a super long strip that you can see on Onyx. Uh, you know, with a, you can see even see a feeder and a box blind. Like, it's a it's a hunt club that busts right up to it and. You know, I, I guarantee you, I'm going to, you know, if I hunt in there enough, I'm going to catch a buck slipping out of those, of that, basically that thick clear cut when he hears that four wheeler pull in or he hears that gravel yeah. pop in or, uh, you know, he hears the guy pull the four wheeler up 40 yards away from his box blind. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, man. That wouldn't that's happen. Prob- that, that'll be a money strategy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'll really pay off for you. For sure. so, yeah, so I mean, one of the one of the things that I've been seeing in on as well is you know, I looking at at these, and again, I mean, if you if you zoom in on Onyx, you'll see what I'm talking about. I mean, all the sur- the properties surrounding um, that national forest property, you can look at them and be like, yep, that's a hunt club. So you'll see all these little loading decks that people have bulldozed into food plots. Yeah, yeah. You can see shooting lanes cut in and, and all sorts of stuff. I mean, it's a like a lot of the other southern states hunting hunting is a way of life here. Everybody does it and. You know, especially, you know, you know, guys, you know, guys that climb into, you know, that aren't as diehard as we are and crazy as we are, the guys that, you know, say they're deer hunters and they, and they are deer hunters, but they get in, you know, they, they go out twice a year and, you know, sit in a box blind and shoot deer. I mean, that's, that's what people do here. I mean, that's, you know, it's everywhere. And that's, I mean, nothing against them. I mean, I, I used to be that way when I started, um, 
but I'm using that to my advantage. So I'm looking at these maps and I'm saying, all right, how are these other hunters going to act? And, you know, knowing, you know, having 15 years of banging my head against the wall, trying to kill a big buck, you know, what would I do if I was a big buck and, you know, using what I know, you know, it's going to be, all right, where's he going to go to be safe to avoid the people that are coming in trying to kill him? And that's where I want to be. Right. Yeah. And and I think that's something that I'm going to kind of implement because, you know, two years ago it was try and figure out, you know, where are the deer last year? I figured out where the deer were. And then it was a lot of, holy crap, things change once people hit the woods. And I, I did some, you know, long, long season soaks. And what I found were some of the nasty, gnarly places. There might only be one spot to hang a stand. Um, maybe they're not ideal for people to go to. That kind of as a season progresses, I think that's where I'm going to kind of start making my way. Because the moment people started showing up on the landscaping in an unusual fashion, and in a dependable fashion for me, right? Because most guys don't want to go far off the road, like you said. So, you know, to get to where I went, it was, it was a fair amount of effort. It wasn't very far, but you know, you had to wade through stuff that was a little waist high and you know, can't see where you're putting your feet. So are you stepping on snakes? You weed out a third of the guys, you know, like, uh, just, just putting those little barriers in, in place and, and allowing those people to funnel pressure. That's something that has been a a common theme with a lot of the guests that have come on, they've volunteered that I haven't had to really provoke it. Yeah. And I, I think the other, the other thing that can be really powerful and, and kind of the, I, I would say it just in the last two to four years that has, has really kind of taken my game to the next level is just having an ultimate level of flexibility and, and going to where, going to where the deer are. Right. So, you know, for, for a while when I was hunting private land in South Carolina, it was, all right, I'm going to go out and hang a bunch of lock-on stands and have a bunch of options. Um, all at the same time, I still had my Summit Viper Climber, and, you know, I had that thing stealth stripped to the max and filled with foam, and I had a real comfortable net seat on it, and I had my, you know, uh, third-hand archery bow, ha- bow, bow holder, you know, mounted to the left side of that Summit Viper's rail, like that thing was, that thing was great. I moved around in it a ton, but I was limited to these straight, you know, straight trees with no limbs. Um, and I killed a lot of deer out of that thing and I'm not knocking it at all. Um, I mean, it's a a deadly, deadly tool. And I, again, shot a lot of nice deer out of it, but I think switching over to the saddle game about two and a half, three years ago has just given me the, the added layer of you know, I can hunt wherever I want to hunt. I can get in whatever I want to get in and put myself in a position to, to be in the spot where I'm going to kill the deer. Yeah. And you're going to let the, the, the deer pressure itself kind of put you, or, or the, you're going to let the season itself kind of dictate where you go instead of trying to make those decisions prior. Right. Exactly. I'm not yeah. going to be limited to a, a tree that I know, you know, I've prepped and, um, you know, I, I cut the, the two limbs off of it that needed to go so I could get 30 feet up in my climber. Like <laughs> I'm okay being 12 feet up right up now if I'm in the right tree. And I mean, a great example of that is the, uh, the buck I shot. Uh, and this was in Western Kentucky, but, uh, I want to say two or three years ago, um, it was a spot I'd walked past pre- the, the previous few years with my summit Viper on my back. And I was like, man, I'd love to hunt here, but there's not a single tree I can get in. And, the first year I was saddle hunting, I climbed a tree right in the in the ridgetop funnel where I needed to be. I was only about 10 feet off the ground, and 
you know, ended up shooting this really nice eight pointer at eye level, um, you know, strong side saddle shot. He never knew I was there because I'm in between a bunch of cedar limbs. And that, that, that just solidified it for me. I was like, there's no way I would have been in this particular spot and gotten the shot on this buck had I not been in this specific tree. And the only way that I was doing that was either in a tiny, tiny, tiny lock on or a saddle. Right. That, that, that story is, uh, becoming <laughs> quite a, a frequent thing here. Chase had a similar situation where last year he was able to get into a tree that he normally couldn't get into and, uh, it paid yeah. some dividends for him. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I, I would say the, uh, you know, the other, the other part of my game that I, I'm, I'm just, I don't know if I'll ever change, but you know, in, in my eyes, I can't tell you how many times I've looked at a spot and said, man, I need to sit there on the ground and it's going to be a money spot, but I just can't bring myself to do it. I want to be in a tree. <laughs> <laughs> and you hear, you, know, you hear, you hear all, all these, all these old timers and, and, and the young guys too, that are like, Hey, if that's where it tells me I need to be, I've got no problem sitting on the ground and getting it done. I mean, you know, you hear it time and time again. You think, I, I mean, just the first one that comes to my mind is, uh, Ted Buck on the hunting public that he shot in Missouri last year, just sitting on his sitting on his butt next to a tree, and it's like, you know, I, I would love. I, I see spots like that all the time where I'm like, I need to do that, but I just want to be in a tree because I feel like I can see so much more, and just I'm so much more aware. Right, there's some areas down here that I've already told myself this season that I'm going to hunt on the ground, and it's the the reason for it is just it, this really short pine trees um thick but there are openings in those pine trees and just it's just loaded with deer and there's no way there's no there's not a tree within I don't know 500 yards to be able to get in to hunt that area but I feel like I'm I'm really losing a lot of the area that I could be hunting if I would just go ahead and say all right you're just going to have to sit on the ground <laughs> you're just going to have to sit on the ground and, and make it happen and uh, I think that that will probably end up paying at least some dividends this year on some deer because we, uh, we killed a deer out of there last season, kind of at the end of the year. I was rifle hunting at that point. It was, it was out of a it was out of a ground blind. But I think I was like, well, why am I just going to limit myself to that? Why don't I get in here during both? Because the deer were in there then, too. And uh, I think that I'm I'm going to have to end up doing that is kind of getting a little bit out of the comfort zone uh, some and just make that decision. All right, you're just going to hunt from the ground. And uh, and it's kind of hard sometimes in Florida because you're thinking it's like, well, it's 90-something degrees outside. Your, your scent's going to be everywhere. But I, I feel like, uh, okay, well, if I get a good wind or a good constant wind or something like that, then I just need to go in there and at least give it a try and see if I can make it happen. Well, I think um, that's the key right there is, you know, having, having the mindset of like, all right, I'm, I'm willing to try something different that could re- end or result in total failure, but could also get the job done. Um, you know, that's, I think that's what makes a lot of successful hunters very successful is that they're, they're willing to adapt and they 100% learn from, uh, what they've, what they've seen in the woods to, to get it done the next time. Um, one of the, you know, I think one of the things that has changed for me over the last few years is just, you know, having the ability and, and making the decision to try some off the wall stuff, right. Whether it's, you know, hang a camera 50 yards from the road, um, or 
I, I carried a, uh, a Montana decoy last year. Um, one of those like 2d, 2d fold out doe decoys. And, uh, so I, I carried one of those with me when I was, when I was hunting in Kentucky, because in previous years, anytime I've, I've seen a buck cruising a ridgeline over, or, um, you know, he's out of, out of bow range and I grunt at him or I make any sort of like noise at him or whatever. They just stop, they freeze and they look and they're waiting to see another deer. They're waiting to see movement. I was like, all right, well, you know, that, this has happened to me three years in a row now. Like calling just pretty much ineffective because the deer, the, the woods are so open, the deer just stop and look. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to give this 2D, you know, Montana decoy a shot. And I, uh, I, so I hunted over it last year and I can't tell you how many, you know, all my buddies that I was out there hunting with were looking at me like, you're an idiot. Like, why are you, you know, hunting, uh, hunting over a decoy on, you know, pretty highly pressured public land. Like you're just going to scare all the deer off. Well, I actually didn't. I had, you know, none of the deer were ones I wanted to shoot, but I had uh, a couple like three and a half year old, uh, one really nice eight pointer and then probably a two and a half year old 10 pointer all come in within like 10 yards of the decoy stop and just stare at it. And here I am hanging in a saddle 15 yards away and could have easily sent an arrow at them. But, you know, instead, you know, they had never had any idea I was there because they were so transfixed on that decoy and my calling at them that when they stopped, they saw that thing and they came in. Nice. So I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that on, you know, highly pressured Southern deer as well. I mean, why not? I'm going to try it until it, you know, causes me to shoot myself in the foot. <laughs> you know, until I have a bad experience, I'm going to keep trying it. And I'd actually, uh, you guys know Ted Brighton? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I told Ted all, you know, all about the, the decoy thing. And, um, right before his rut hunt in Missouri, he went and picked one up and had literally the exact same thing happen on the buck that he shot in Missouri, uh, last year, um, called it the deer. It was in some thick stuff. The deer basically did a, a semicircle around him until it saw the decoy and came in just like transfixed on the decoy and gave Ted the opportunity to smash him. Uh, with an arrow at like twenty yards. Dang, nice, yeah. He's he's been on the podcast, right, Walt? Yeah, yeah. You no, he's been way back when. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got nice. the, I got the opportunity to go out and run around uh, some Missouri public land with him last December. Had a blast. That guy's that guy's fun to try and keep up with. <laughs> Five or six mile bike rides at three in the morning. Okay, I think I saw one of those videos. Did he post yeah. the videos? I think I might have seen that actually. <laughs> yeah, you talked to him again, asked him about uh we were we were riding out this was in December, we were riding out in the middle of an ice there was a bunch of ice on the ground and uh we, we both managed to wreck our bikes and he, he went down first and then I laid mine down to keep from running him over. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, so tell us about your saddle setup, dude. What are you running? Yeah, so I uh I've been lucky enough to have a uh, a phantom since uh since last season and so I'm, I'm rocking the the phantom and i was in a manis before that um and then i use a, a predator platform and uh, i've got a uh a homegrown platform that i've been messing around with as well um so the uh i'm a i'm a minimalist guy i don't i'm not a minute i'm not a minimalist guy in the, in the pure, pure sense of it but when it comes to my saddle i don't like a lot of like pouches and gear and stuff like that on my saddle when i'm sure. in a tree i kind of like it to be bare um so what I've, I've kind of experimented around with is, is leaving all of my uh, and i'm one of the weird guys that i don't i don't like to wear my saddle into the tree i like to pack it in um 
so I've got an X2, Eberly stock X2 backpack. Uh, shout out to Parker McDonald for turning me on to that thing. <laughs> we'll never shout him out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great pack. I love that thing. Um, I, I dabbled in the self-filming, um, self-filming last year for the first time. And I got a lot of really cool footage. I'll send you some of it. Um, maybe you can post it with uh, a link to this, but I've got, I got cool footage of the, both those deer that I, those bucks that I was talking about that came into my decoy last year and having that X2 pack just gives me the ability to, to bring everything I need into the woods with me. Um, but saddle itself, I don't like anything on it. Um, I ha- I own probably every climbing method known to man. Um, <laughs> I've got wild edge steps. I've got modified Hawk steps. I bought the API hunting sticks and converted them to B sticks. I've since cut, cut all those in half and, uh, made my own little freakish platform slash one stick climbing device that uh I'm, I'm getting pretty sold on this one stick method where i basically walk in with not you of, too uh, yeah 30 feet of the eight millimeter rope I, I tried it the last uh last weekend of the season last year and it, i mean it's just it, it's so easy um you know and you're carrying in one stick so right. i mean it's it just it's like i carry in one stick and my predator um and then this this next evolution of my one stick that i've got now i've got a, a two-step amphiolator on it and then i've got a uh basically it's a maybe 12 inch 12 inch like kind of looks like a beast stick um with two standoffs two steps two double-sided steps and then uh on the on the top there's actually two double-sided steps that are spaced out with uh stainless steel spacers to where the overall platform itself is, let's call it eight inches wide by uh, about four, yeah, let's call it four and a half inches deep. If that makes sense. I'll send you a picture of it. Um, but it it holds a lot of promise, um, especially for a lot of those like quick hunts. I still don't. I still don't think there's going to be anything for the the, the long sits, you know, in the, in the meat of the season. Uh, I, don't, I I like I like my predator a lot. Oh, dude, I love my predator. I've got absolutely no complaints when it comes to that thing, man. Some we we just did the recent uh, teaching train here in town, and everybody's like, "Should I get the XL? Should I get the XL?" I'm like, "There's nothing wrong with buying a tethered product. I just can't get past like the it is like the perfect size for me. That original OG Predator is just it's just money." Yeah, and I've I've actually got I probably got one of the first like I would say probably one of the first like fifty um you know gen one predators and i'm not you know i'm not an overly big guy or anything like that um and i you know i don't i'm never going to get rid of that thing i i like the idea of of potentially having a larger size platform for like later later season hunts i'm sure i'm a big wiener i don't like my feet getting cold so i uh i always rock the uh the arctic shield boot insulators once it gets to about 25 degrees or so um, so I could see having a, a bigger platform being really beneficial with, uh, you know, when I'm wearing the boot blankets. Yeah, I could see that. I see what you're saying. Cause they'd be a little more bulky, but a little difficult. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Or like the big pack boots up, up North. I bet you those would, would be wonderful to have yeah, uh, for sure. some extra comfort too. Hmm. Absolutely. So where are you going out of sea, out of state this year? I'm going to do one more round in, uh, one more round in Western Kentucky. This will be like the, like the sixth year in a row that I've gone there. Um, had a lot of really good success. I haven't 
haven't quite connected with the uh, the giant the giant buck that uh, that I want to out there. So I'm gonna give it one more go. Um, had plenty of encounters, launched plenty of arrows, <laughs> no avail. Um, <laughs> but you know, we've had a we've had a my group. I've got a group of guys that I've been going with for a while, and you know, we we put some as, collectively as a group killed some some really nice deer, like right around like 145, 150 type deer, and you know, had encounters with with bigger ones than that, and you know, can't really complain a whole lot about it. So. Gonna give that one one more go, and then I'm uh, I'm gonna branch off and get further west next year, whether it be Illinois or Missouri or uh, even further west like Oklahoma. Really, just wherever I can find some public land that looks good, and you know, just take off and see where the truck takes me. <laughs> well, I can tell you this much, man. I'm looking at I'm I'm scrolling through uh, on X right now, really seriously considering South Carolina, man. It just it's pretty habitat, man. It is if you like if you like thick and pines, it's, uh, it's a good place to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like Florida, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about that for a second because we didn't we didn't really talk about that a lot. So we talk about Florida. We talk several things about Florida, and one of the things, a couple of things we talk about is it seems like deer are in pockets for sure. Yep. And I think we're trying to we're kind of piecing that together on why why they're in those pockets. But what in South Carolina, what is the pattern there for the deer? Because in Florida, it seems like the pattern's all over the place, and it can be because there's so many places they can bed, so much stuff they can feed on. So is that the same in South Carolina, or is it a little bit different? I would say very very similar here. Um, you know, I was in talking about it being hot. I was, this was probably three weeks ago. I was, uh, kind of had a, I had like a wake up moment, if you will. Um, I, I rode into the national forest, parked my truck on top of a hill where there was, a a clear cut, um, or no, it was actually where they had, they had thinned some like five to eight year old pines, um, pretty recently and parked the truck and I was walking in the hardwoods right on the edge of that those thin pines and cut up into the thin pines because I saw a deer trail going into them. And when, as soon as I cut out of the hardwoods into the thin pines, like it was a noticeable change. Like it went from being, let's call it 78 degrees to being 88 degrees at seven thirty in the morning. Right. I mean, just, just a noticeable, like from the Creek bottom to the pines, it's like all of a sudden it was that much hotter in the sun. Um, you know, all those, those trimmed, trimmed off pines. I, I'm sure you guys know the feeling that I'm talking about. Yep. Like you get, you step into that, you smell the, the drying pine needles and all of a sudden it's like, holy crap, it's a, it's a lot hotter right here than it was 10 yards behind me. Um, so that was one of the things I was thinking. I was like, all right, they're, you know, the, sure the deer are definitely going to be using these clear cuts and the, you know, the pines right now, um, you know, for the, for the, the new growth and the browse, but are they really bedding in these right now, especially in the summer? Like it's, it's that much hotter. Like where, where are these deer realistically going to be? Like they want to be comfortable too, um, you know, to a degree. So I was like, all right, you know, that, that makes sense. So then I started thinking like, all right, if they're not bedding on the tops of these ridges right now, like where are they going to be? Um, so on that scouting trip, I hung a few cameras down in Creek bottom 
um, basically on, again, on the thick edge, the edges that I could find within the creek bottom. So it was like, where does it go from wide open hardwoods to, you know, thick swampy type stuff? Or where does it go? You know, where, where is there a corner between, let's say, a ridge of mature pines that butts up to um, a clear cut on another ridge? And then I got thick swamp and a strip of hardwoods that runs kind of right through the middle of everything in the creek bottom. And so I started hanging cameras in those areas. And I think what I'm what I'm finding and what I'm learning is you know, the deer, the deer aren't necessarily in the thickest stuff right now because it's so much hotter. Um, and so I'm finding them on, you know, again, creatures of the edge, I think they're bedding right on the edge where they're still getting the coolness of the, the hardwood Creek bottom, but they have the, the ability to escape into the thick nasty if they need to. Mm-hmm. Right now, are you able to, like, I was talking, are you able to like distinguish bedding or anything up there or like food sources? What, what are they keying in on up there? Maybe early season acorns? Yeah, so I think the uh, you know in terms of in, in terms of the the bedding stuff, I remember when I discovered the hunting beast four probably four years ago, three or four years ago. I was still living in South Carolina, and I read about it. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna find some buck beds. And <laughs> I don't think I I don't think I found a single one. <laughs> so to answer your question, there, you know, I run into the same thing that you guys do. The deer the deer can bed anywhere they damn well please. Yeah, feel safe. Um, you know, I think what what they're looking for now, and, and what I'm at least in my mind, if I was if I was a big mature buck, I want to bed somewhere where I'm comfortable and where I'm safe. So it, it it's the places of seclusion where they can get on the edge, um, you know, and have that escape cover, you know, very close but still be comfortable. Um, so where I'm getting my best pictures at now is on the on again on these edges where the deer are browsing, whether it's you know, the growth that occurs right between hardwood Creek bottom and pines, there's a lot of grasses and, and like low, low foliage that occur right there that the deer are browsing on. But then there, I've also got a lot of videos of them digging up acorns. Um, so if I can find some, some good looking white oaks that are, that, you know, fit that, that edge criteria, I'm getting a lot of really good pictures under those white oaks right now where the deer are actually digging up acorns from last year. Okay. okay. Interesting. Yeah, I I haven't had I haven't had much luck targeting hard mass here, but I also had like several years of absolute garbage hard mass seasons too. Yeah, and so there you know there's a lot of other things that they can eat as well. So I mean, pretty much anything is a food source right now with all the the, the low growth, which is with this wet of a, a spring and summer as we've had so far. It's been a little bit drier here the last month or so, but up to that, it was extremely wet. Um, so there's a lot of green out there. Um, and then, you know, early season food sources, I'm, I'm certainly, I'm certainly not, you know, ignoring the, you know, the persimmon trees that I walk up on that I can tell have fruit on them. Um, and then the, uh, oh man, what are the trees called that have the long, uh, the long black um, seed pods on them? Oh, um, honey, honey locust. Hun- yep, honey locust. There you go. Yeah, I, I ran up on uh, on on one of those where there were basically there were shells all over the ground. The last time I was out walking, from you could tell that the deer had been in there. Um, maybe not recently. There there weren't any left, but um, this past season they were in there just just chewing those things all the heck. I'm I'm curious to see how it goes because this will be your first real full season back, right? 
Yeah, and this is the first season that I've – since I was in college, um, this will be the first season in South Carolina hunting strictly public. Um, when I hunted in college, it was, you know, I, I would uh, – I hunted out of John Boat then. Um, so I'd John Boat in, have my climber on my back, hop in, walk somewhere that looked good and climb a tree. And you know, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to – the wind or the food sources or the beddings, it, it was just, Hey, you know, this looks like a good spot that a deer would walk through. And, um, you know, it didn't work out that great, you know, and you learn from that and you move on. And <laughs> now I'm back to the, you know, I, I've had a, I've had a, a lot of conversations with my, my hunting buddy that, uh, you know, and, and we hunted together back in college as well. And I was like, man, if we, if we could hunt, you know, that land that we were hunting back then, and use what we know now like man how different would things be how, how different would things have turned out if only there were podcasts back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm yeah. glad to, i'm glad to hear you couldn't find any buck bedding because i think everybody who's ever listened to that has always gone out with a renewed vigor to go out there and find it but i i just i really don't think the more we talk to people in the south who are successful on a routine basis they're hunting those multiple transition areas that, that naturally funnel deer. There's very little you can actually do, I think, to get on top of a deer besides just get a bunch of eyes in the woods on, on, and identify areas where that property tends to hold deer. And then once you find yeah. that pattern, hunt that pattern. Yeah, and I think, I think that you hit it on the head and that maybe the success – at least the you know the equation that I'm that I'm looking to validate this year is you know marry marry the hottest freshest sign with historic sign in overlooked spots. Right. Marry marry those together equals daylight daylight activity with mature deer. I hope. Right. Yeah, I could totally I could totally see that happening. I, I, I you and I have similar plans. I think you're kind of you're you're way ahead of me in, in identifying what those patterns are. I'm so, I'm behind you in that, but it'll be interesting to see post season. I think you need to jump back on the podcast, and we need to compare and contrast how our strategies played out. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, the so one of the and I think you and I have talked about this. So one of the interesting things that I'm employing this year is I've over the last year I've gone a little bit I've gone a little bit ham and buying trail cameras. Mm-hmm. How um, many do you have right now? I don't want to say. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> I don't want to say. Mainly, mainly I won't say because I don't know, but I would say somewhere in the, in the realm of 20 to 30. Right on. Um, okay. Not the most we've heard. Yep. <laughs> no, no. Um, and you know, I think, and I think I'm up to six or seven cell cameras at this point that I've accumulated. Um, so it's going to be interesting to kind of balance out. I think what I'm going to, what my plan is, is when I head to, to Kentucky in the early October to scout and hang some cameras, I'm just going to take all my cell phone cameras and do that and then leave the, the, the balance of, uh, of my just normal cameras on the public land down here. And, and we'll kind of do like what you did last year and just let them soak. Like maybe if I, you know, if I check them mid season when I hunt or whatever, great, but you know, just let them soak through the end of January. And what do, what do I learn? Right. Like, you know, what, what specific terrain features are the deer using during the most highly pressured time? You know, what, what terrain features or what, you know, sticks out about the spots where I see the majority of the decent buck movement in daylight. I mean, that's, that's the name of the game, right? 
Absolutely. Yep. It that's that's <laughs> something I learned from Chase. You know, so for the past couple of years, he's been hunting. You know, more and more big deer, and he's started to identify more and more patterns um, to those deer. And one of the things I always noticed that was interesting about him is he would run that trail camera in the same spot for the longest period of time. And then one day he's like, okay, I figured it out about December 8th every year. That's when this buck starts showing up on this camera. Well, if you don't leave that trail camera there long-term, then you don't get that glimpse and you don't start to put that piece of the puzzle together. And, you know, if I don't do that long soak on a WMA, I almost named just then and would have to edit out. <laughs> you don't know that those de- that those deer get pushed into that swamp bottom because you know you may have run it all summer. You probably wouldn't have gotten anything on that on that camera. But the moment the hunter impact gets there, you know it starts changing things. And that's kind of my goal, dude. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm aspiring to get on your level with the number of cameras, and I just want to start mapping these properties and start to find the pattern that's here. You know, it. I think every property has a pattern, and it's just on you to to get in there and figure it out. Yeah, I completely agree. And so for me, the you know, the, the, the thing is, and I know you guys are the same way, like, you know, there's not, there's not 180s hiding behind every tree and every thicket, you know, and, there, and that's the, you know, for the way that it is in the vast majority of places. And the, the whole concept of, you know, chasing hog Johnson is, is what, you know, what drives, what drives me to the woods now. And, and I take that phrase from a, uh, a movie called Eastern Rises. It's a fly fishing movie about these guys that adventure into the Kamchatkan Peninsula um, and, and just catch these like monster rainbow trout um, that are just like crazy aggressive. Go watch it if you like trout fishing. At I all. do. It's yeah. Um, it's called Eastern Rises. I, when I was in Afghanistan, uh, me and a couple guys would, would just talk about deer hunting and fly fishing. And we watched that movie probably like 10 times. But anyway, they talk about. <laughs> They talk about they talk about the concept of catching hog Johnson, and it could be the it could be a small golden trout in the high Sierras, or it could be uh, you know these massive rainbows in these Kamchatkan rivers. But it's just like going after the biggest fish in the water, or in our case, you know the biggest, nastiest, stinkiest Uncle yeah. Long Dick running around running around the woods. Um, <laughs> you know, it, there's just something. It's a breed. You know, we're a breed that is. It is interesting and, and crazy all at the same time. I've, you know, we, we talk about, you know, sharing, sharing stories and talking tactics with guys that hunt similar terrain to what you do. And, um, you know, I've, I've already, you know, just via different, you know, social media platforms ran into three or four guys that are, are hunting the same places that I hunt here and using similar tactics. And, you know, it, it's cool seeing guys that are doing what you're doing, you know, having success, um, you know, killing Hog Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, maybe I can join the ranks of those. <laughs> Me too. I'm I'm still trying to get I'm still trying to get there. I've I've killed a I've killed a couple decent deer in in South Carolina and um you know the the fun part is is when you start showing you start showing guys pictures or videos of of deer walking under you that you know 98% of guys doing the same thing that you're doing would shoot in a heartbeat and they're like dude why didn't you shoot that deer that's a great buck i'm like man that's just not what gets my blood boiling right now and then you know for guys like that's what gets their blood boiling that is completely okay but i'm you know i i, I want hog johnson that's it yeah. you know <laughs> <laughs> okay man chase unless you've got anything i've got a closing question for him uh 
I want them to give us a, a bold prediction for this year uh, on public. I like give it. us one bold. Give us one bold prediction for this season. Who? Just one. Um, in, in South Carolina, on public. So, I'll I'll kind of just go with like all right. I'll, I'll go with goal slash like what my goal is, and then what my realistic prediction is. So my my goals would be. I want to I want to kill a mature buck in the first two weeks of the season. So that would be by the end of September, basically. Right um, on. I want to put it. I want to put an arrow in something. Um, you know, that's if if everything goes down the way I want it to go down, that that will happen. And basically, I want to get to that point by putting the sweat equity in up front and running enough cameras and doing enough enough research and on the ground scouting to where I can put myself in that position. Um, I think it's realistic. Um, especially after some of these recent camera polls, right? And, and it's always getting a picture is one thing, getting into kill the deer is a completely different thing, but you know, it's, it's at least self-validating to know I'm putting my cameras in places that, a, that good bucks walk by in the daylight. So um, my hopes are high right now. Um, so pr- prediction prediction is, is I have, I, I have at least two to three encounters with, with deer that I want to shoot. And I get, I get one on the ground for the season. If I can do that, I'm, I'm happy. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's my bold, that, and that may be not a bold prediction, but that's my prediction for how it, <laughs> how it goes down. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have any aspirations of, of tagging out or, or shooting, you know, three or four deer with my bow. Um, uh, and I, you know, I, I just do, I do it with a bow now. It's what I, the way I prefer to hunt. Um, and it, obviously that, that makes things a bit harder. Um, who knows, maybe by the end of the season, I'll have had enough and, and pull out the, the rifle uh, if enough if enough big deer slip by me but you know I, i'm good with one or two deer over the course of the season all right so my departing question for you sir if you could go back to your earliest public land hunting self and depart yourself one piece of information that would change the way that you attack public land what would you say stop making a ton of noise and get close <laughs> Why break that down? Why I cannot tell you the nightmares I have of my former self when I was 21, 22, 20 in college, driving a John boat, you know, a hundred yards from where I was going to hunt, cutting the engine, banging my bottom cam on the boat, on the boat as I was getting out, taking my stand apart when I got to the tree and letting that cable swing around and go bing. <laughs> you laugh because you've been there. Yep. Um, you know that is, uh, and and where I was at, you know, I was I was close to the thick stuff, close enough to where, you know, I guarantee you, deer heard me do that, and I did not see deer because they heard me park the boat, they heard me come in, they heard me, you know, set up my climber, bang stuff around. Um, you know, they're they're so in tune with that, especially in the south, especially on public land that, you know, I, I feel like at least the first few years of my hunting journey, like, you know, it would have, things would have been radically different if I instantly showed up to the woods one day and I was quiet and I was hunting out of a saddle and I didn't make any noise. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't touching every limb as I walked through the woods. You know, those are things learn with time, but, you know, I would tell my former self, be quiet, get close to where you think the deer is, be, be okay with, be okay with, 
you know, bumping one out once in a while. It's okay. Put your put yourself in the game is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Chase, who does that remind you of? Who does that remind me of? Yeah, it said something very similar to that. It's not myself, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's Andy May, man. He said something very similar. Be more aggressive early Oh, yeah, on. just just put yourself in the game. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, be, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Right. And that's hard, man. That's really hard. It sounds easy, but, man, I can tell you firsthand, it, I get anxiety whenever I feel like I'm pushing the limits. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Well, like I, it's it's a long season, man, and hopefully, and you're right now you're getting you're not you've only been hunting Florida public for three years now, right? So it's not the end of the world if you go in there and blow up a hunt, you you'll be back. You you hunt more than just a few times a year, so uh, you I don't think you really you, you've got to I, I don't that's how I look at it. I'm going to hunt a bunch this season, so inevitably I'm going to mess up, but um, maybe one of those are, isn't a mess up and I get on that big buck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, great, great example learning point for me in that, in that scenario was at in Kentucky walking in these long ridge lines with a headlamp on my head, you know, walking back in, you know, a mile along a ridge top, you know, white headlamp blaring, you know, blaring at the sun. We, what we found is that we weren't seeing deer until like eight forty-five, nine in the morning. It wasn't, we weren't seeing like that, you know gray light movement and he's like oh shit well you know think about it like if you're on that ridge and i'm on this ridge i can look up and see your headlamp like you know a half mile away like oh maybe the deer are seeing that happen (laughs) and uh so we just started walking in with like you know using real dim red lights and stuff like that and it's amazing all of a sudden we start seeing a lot more deer right at first light because the deer down in these hollers were looking up and seeing our headlamps as we walked in every every time yeah we make a lot of boneheaded mistakes when we're young don't we Oh man, <laughs> a lack yeah, of attention absolutely. to detail by young bucks with full of energy and enthusiasm, but no common sense probably has saved more deer. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, dude, I appreciate you taking time out your evening. I, I am excited. One day I'm going to get, get a chance to meet up with you. I think about two years ago you were, you attended a teaching train that I was really hoping to have attended. Uh, that was when you you went to global with your battle belt mod, and uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, it's it's crazy. I've been wanting to do more of that stuff. Um, you know, I looked down at my uh, at, at the YouTube video that Scott and I did of, of that climbing method and of the battle belt mod. And it's like I've got thirty thousand views on YouTube with one video, and I was just like, that's weird. Like I never thought you know thirty thousand people would want to see my dumbass climbing a tree. Yeah, <laughs> I feel I similarly. More of it. I feel similarly every time somebody downloads the podcast. <laughs> I hear you, man. I completely understand it. Oh man, well, dude, I appreciate you. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find everything, Clayton Bond? Yeah, so uh, I'm on Facebook, Clayton Bond, and then uh, Instagram at Addicted Whitetail. Go figure. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Uh, oh, and then uh, on YouTube, there's a couple of videos out there that my buddy Scott and I put out. It's Addicted Whitetail. There's one of me climbing a tree with some wild edge steps and a five-step aider, and then uh, like a What's in My Pack video, and maybe more to come this year. Uh, who knows? You may see some some of my face on uh, Southern Ground Hunting, um, or, or who, who, who knows where else. So, uh, man, just love, get, love getting out there and, and getting after it and, um, you know, 
trying to balance hunting with everything else in life that's important. That's it. That's it. Well, hang on one second, brother. We're going to close this out, but we want to talk with you afterwards. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We sit sub 60 days, I think, at this point. I mean, we are dangerously close to deer season. So if you're not out there shooting your bow, if you're not out there getting your saddle system ready, that's okay. There's still time. Get out and do it and look for all the videos that we've got coming out that I hope you get ready and get into saddle hunting on our YouTube channel. But most importantly, no matter what you do, get outside and enjoy the great outdoors.